0: Daniel Chacon. Today, my guest is Alessandra Narvaez Varela, who just came out with a book in verse, a a novel in verse called 30 Talks Weird Love. She is a former student of ours here at the University of Texas, El Paso, got her MFA in creative writing, and this is her first book. I'm very excited to talk about it, so stick around. on a wire do you find being locked up in your home or i don't know if you're entirely locked up like we are other than to go to the store but uh, i don't know your situation is but do you feel like being locked up is is uh is helping you as a writer or is it making you go crazy
1: I think a little bit of both. I think, uh, at the beginning and I guess around March or April, I did go a little bit crazy, but I've learned to, um, I don't appreciate not driving, for example, which takes a lot of time. Um, and I've been able to write a little bit more, I think, and, and focus on the book and another story that I'm writing. I don't
0: know. How about you? Yeah, again, I, I, I'm going to have to actually agree and, 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 uh, you know, say that uh, some of it's great, some of it's absolutely amazing. I know I'm writing things that I would never have written hadn't this happened. And it, this isn't in any way my being happy that it happened. I think it's horrible. I think what's going on right now is, is you know, uh, well, I know unprecedented in my lifetime, the horror of it and the, the, the damage and all the pain and, and and everything. But But it has given me time to I guess, communicate with, uh, uh, with myself on levels that perhaps I didn't when I was interacting physically with so many people, you know, I'm even walking to the building, you know, when you're going to teach class, you run into people, you know, you don't run into people on the way to a zoom meeting, except for maybe a glimpse of yourself (laughs) in the mirror as you're walking to your computer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, um, It's also for me, it's always a little bit stressful to get to places on time and that stress, I think, little by little accumulates. And (laughs) I don't know. I and because I I I also teach at another place. um, It was it's just draining to drive. But like you, I'm not saying that I'm glad this happened, but there have been some advantages to it. Like we were saying before with the resources soon, for example, I think I've been able to have more intimate conversations with my students. That's interesting. Because they're able to, yeah, they, they've been able to stay after after class and we just talk and talk. And so there's not. Oh, no my God. That, that,
0: you know what? That makes a lot of sense, because this year uh, enrollments were, were down because of the pandemic. But the classes that filled immediately, we had to cancel a few of them were your classes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, huh. students must love you. And that's probably why you talk to them
1: no that that's cool and uh, it's really a it's really an honor to be trusted with someone's writing um and it, it's just a great tool to hear from them because then you get the feedback is personalized it's tailored um uh, and it's just nice to have that human contact instead of just seeing names on the screen right um, you just connect it to a faith, like we used to do, and I think I took it for granted so
0: well you know you're you're a, a relatively new professor you graduated with your MFA I don't know how many years ago um but uh you know you've been teaching since then and you're you're young and you're excited and you're on fire and I remember being your age and teaching for the first time how on fire I was and hopefully you keep that fire because I think that's what distinguishes a great professor from you know one of those professors that you have to take because uh, he or she is the only one offering the class but it's that 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 excitement and desire that you seem to bring not only into your work, but into your students' work.
1: And also my students, uh, they're my lifeline. They've always been. And I don't, rem- I don't, I don't know if you remember that I sent you an email right after we uh, transitioned to remote. And my first question or worry was, how am I going to do it without my students? <laughs> so I think that that desire is just a reflection of, of what they give me. Um, I end up learning so much more from them right. than they do from me. So um, it's just I think it's mutual. Um, it's just an honor to to teach uh, and to teach this kind of thing. Right? It's it's just really intimate and it's it's just amazing.
0: Do Do you ever steal their their work and uh, and uh, write it yourself?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes joke <laughs> with them. Telling them this is so good, I'm going to steal it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, there's just wonderful writers out there, and sometimes for better words, they need to hear the words. You're good. Keep right, at it. Um, right. Yeah.
0: And you know the other thing they seem to 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 believe and and want and perhaps need to hear, and I'm sure you tell them to it. Uh, you tell them is your story matters.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that is very important. I think that the, sometimes when we talk about, um, you know, either poems or short stories, which is what I, what I focus on, um, I said just write about what you know. Right. You don't have to go to a fancy place like New York and Paris. You just look around because the story. Um, of you the story of your community matters it's just a matter of observing right which is what we do as writers
0: we observe 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 and and you know the interesting thing is writers uh, I don't want to say they're self-absorbed because that's the negative uh, side of the of the coin but writers are self-reflective writers are always in in communication with self kind of like your character not only is you know, she in communication with her friends at 13 years old going to school, but she's also communicating with a future version of ourselves. I think we tend as writers to, uh, uh, to to communicate with ourselves. And I think it's the same when, when we're reading, uh, like, okay, during this pandemic, I'm locked up in my office. I don't want to say locked up again. That's a negative connotation. I'm wandering creatively in my office all over the place. And every time I enter into a book, it... even if it's one i've read before especially actually sometimes when it's one i read before i feel like i'm entering into the text and entering into my subconscious into myself at the same time that i'm uncovering layers of me do you ever feel that way
1: i do i do and i think another going back to the to what's uh i guess some um highlights if you can say that I don't know that that's the right word of being um, isolated is that I've had the chance to read even more because I'm not driving to teach and I love that experience because it is through reading um, that I visit myself and that's what I wanted the character to do for for the readers Uh, go back and think about your 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 teenager uh for example for adults right? right think back to that person and see the beauty of them um and also for teenagers look at your beauty right now right um because i in, in the book um actually going back to my students and i always bring them up because it's really because of the interactions that i had that i started writing this um i was a tutor a science and english tutor Uh, While I was completing my master's and because I was doing that with, um, you know, doing the master's and tutoring at the high school, I started thinking about this. How can we have the kinds of tough conversations and self-reflections? And that's how the idea came about.
0: You know, I and I I even believe that, you know, when we communicate with different versions of ourselves, you know, we're thinking outside of space time and linear time and chronology and all those things that that tend to limit our story to a plot, you know, and 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 I guess even uh, 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 somehow make it more superficial because it's about what happens to you. But that when we communicate with different versions of ourselves, we're communicating not only what happened to you, but what is happening to you, what will happen to you. And we involve ourselves in that conversation. And in doing so, we have a deeper understanding of the text, which in this case is ourselves.
1: Most definitely. I think uh, from what you just said, I just imagine tendrils tendrils (laughs) going back and forth. Yes. yeah, it's really um it's really a magical process of of reading and writing and connecting to those versions of yourselves uh, uh of ourselves um so yeah the tendrils are are going in every direction.
0: Yeah. And you know it's interesting about your character um in this novel um she um she's 13 years old and she a, a version of herself at 30 appears. And, uh, and and at first she rejects her like get the hell out of here you know what I mean what do you say if you're 13 and your 30 self appears because when you're 13 30 is incredibly old and <clears throat> yeah. and, and you Alessandra who are probably about 30 are incredibly young when you see from my perspective but one of the beautiful things about the book is she learns to trust her future self as the the story progresses and she comes to a point towards the end where she not only trusts uh, uh, you know, learns to communicate with herself, but she also is grateful that herself is showing her things that she couldn't have known. And I, I have the precise quote that I'm referring to, um, uh, in my, my show notes. Let me look at them real quick. I think it's on page, yeah, 188, where she says, um, She says uh, that that the 30, her at 30, whom she calls 30, that's her name. She says 30 walks in and 30 talks weird love. Uh, I like how she calls her 30. But 13 says, I knew things she didn't when she was 13 because she told me, she showed me, so my life would be different, better. That's that's a beautiful uh, acknowledgement for 13 to have. And it makes me wonder what 30 got from 13.
1: I often thought about that because um, I wanted the spotlight to be on Ana Maria, the 13-year-old self. Uh, but I think uh, 30 learns that to appreciate herself at 13, because one of the things that Lee and I, Lee is my editor, we would talk about it. Is it like a? Is it like parallel? And what happens now that they met each other is this same lifeline split. Um, and I do think it splits. Once that, once 30 comes back uh, to the past to talk to her, I think her life will be different. She, 30 learns to appreciate who she was. Right. Uh, for example, she keeps the, the secret of, of her attempting suicide and, and jumping from that second floor for so long, mostly because she was scared. Right. Um, so she learns from 13 or Ana Maria to... Embrace every part of herself because I think we're so good at giving advice as older people. <laughs> uh, we're great at that. Right. Um, I, I do it with my students, I do it with my niece, I do it with anyone who's older than me. But to follow your own advice, it's pretty tough. Um, and going back to what you said, you know, this resistance of who is this lady, I think it's also a reflection of 13 had to be, and, and if you notice, she's a little bit mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, To 30 And it makes sense Uh, Right She's We talk horribly to ourselves
0: Yeah, absolutely Uh, How could I do that? How could I do that? How could I be so stupid When I was this When I was that?
1: Yes 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 And that's why It takes Ana Maria A while To see the beauty Of 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 30 Uh, And love her Actually So it's a it's a it's a lesson, right, of, of loving ourselves. And I think when you deal and I'm not a obviously a, a psychologist or a doctor, but when you deal with depression, there's this uh, inner hate, right. a very harsh editor, um, your worst enemy. Right. Um, and you have to just be kind to yourself, which is a lesson I'm still learning
0: And, you know, and I I think that it could be argued that you can actually go into your 13-year-old self. I could go into my 30-year-old self because I'm 58 years old now, and so 30 years was a long time ago. I can go into my 30-year-old self, and I can communicate with that self and actually change the self because of the simple fact that everything we experience about self is basically are our episodic memories that we have up until now we go back to 13 we go back to 30 and what we're doing is we're recalling an episodic memory and episodic memories any you know uh, uh, neuroscientists would tell you which are stored you know in a particular part of the brain are stored there because they're connected to emotion and connected to uh uh significance to to novelty and to these other things in other words what we remember is part of the story we tell ourselves so that's the only thing that is true next time we visit 13 first time we're critical next time we visit 13 we might be compassionate and that in turn is going to change 13 itself because 13 is merely an idea
1: yeah and it's so interesting that you bring up memory because You know, looking at my notes before uh, talking to you, before I even got this idea down on paper, I have this sentence uh, that I'd like to share with you. Please. Uh, It it started like a a journal entry. Um, So it says... when did i start thinking like this meaning always being on because that's you know me i'm always on and i'm always a little bit neurotic and stressed <laughs> um, and so it continues in truth i don't think there was a clear starting point i was born an neurotic, prone to fit capricious baby uh-huh. my wiring red hot angry mismatched oh,
0: i should have wow. been a
1: power plant buzzing working on all the time they're my conception my flirting with a novel or a young adult novel that explores the artificiality of memory and ingrained habits. If I were able to travel back in time and find me, nervous aunt of a girl, would she listen?
0: Huh.
1: So it's all—it's it, really all about, as you say, episodic memory and revisiting that. And that was another motivation for me to write this. I feel like because I was this very I'm still (laughs) very stressed uh, all of the time that I erased a lot of my teenagehood. Right. So I wanted to revisit it and and enjoy it, which I would see uh, in my students, my high school students, they would enjoy their youth. I never did that. So memory, memory.
0: Yeah, and 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 the fact is, if you look at the, you know, just simply the neurological processes, the information that that uh, de- the processing of information that goes into recalling a memory and reliving it emotionally, there's absolutely no difference from what's going on there to imagining the future and 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 telling the same story, uh, but you know, as as a projection, the, the, your brain can't really distinguish the two. And it makes me wonder, um, can 30 in this novel, uh, if she were to visit 50 or 60, uh, what, would, uh, what would she say to herself uh, from both ends? What would 50 say to 30? What would 30 say to 50?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, I actually thought about this. Um, so let me let me just get it right. If 50 visited with 30. What would 50 say to 30?
0: What would they say to each other?
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I've, I've been talking about this with my mom. Um, because first of all, we, we look, uh, physically, uh, we resemble each other or more like I resemble her. And so I asked her when I was writing this book, what will you tell me? Um, And so this whole conversation about one of the things that I heard from her and actually other uh, friends, uh, women in my life have been, gosh, you're beautiful. Remember that.
0: Um, (laughs) That's nice. uh, And and I know it's
1: it's a little bit, uh, you know, it might seem a little bit superficial. Well, it
0: depends on your definition of beauty, but no, not at all.
1: Exactly. But she said, a lot of women have said to me, older friends of mine, I wish I had taken a picture of myself every day of my life <laughs> and appreciate that beauty, which, of course, it means not only what you see outside, but inside.
0: Right, right. And I
1: think 50 would again say, besides that, don't be so harsh on yourself.
0: Oh, stop. exactly.
1: <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Breathe. Um enjoy um life is very short and as we've seen this very terrible year it's um it's really a blessing to be alive so yeah. i think the 50 year old the 60 year old the 90 year old would say just appreciate yourself and and breathe well breathe. You're,
0: you're you're very optimistic that there is a 90 old 90 year old Alessandra out there waiting to oh, communicate I'm going, <laughs>
1: I'm going for it uh i'm, I'm trying
0: yeah yeah it's 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 um, you know i i the, this whole idea of going into your past and communicating with yourself and thus changing the meaning of your past is is very much parallel to uh uh, an idea in mysticism, especially uh, specifically i 'm thinking of, of Kabbalah, which believes that you can enter into your memory the way, same way you enter into a text and you can uncover meaning and it depends on what you 're looking for that will give meaning to that text or that memory and i 've been doing this for years. I remember uh, probably about five years ago, I was fifty something and I was in dealing with this problem that I had that I was really hard on myself because I had it and I says, okay, I'm going to allow 65-year-old me to come in. And so he came in and... He, he looked pretty good for 65. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I asked, OK, what's your advice? How do I deal with this problem? And there was a, my cat playing with a ball, a little rubber ball on the hardwood floors. And she would hit the ball and run after it and then pounce on it and hit the ball. And the older version of me just looked at it, looked at the cat, watched it. I started to watch it. And then the older version said, that's how you treat your problems, like a cat playing with a ball. And at first I thought, well, he's senile. But in reflecting, it, you know, in reflecting about it later on, I thought, yeah, that's, that's really how we let go of our problems, by not taking them as a serious part of the narrative that we construct, the meaning that we construct of, of not only our memories, but of our future. And um, so I think it's, it's uh, uh, something writers do all the time probably something everybody does whether conscious or not and it really does help us define uh where we are now in the moment where are you right now in the moment alessandra
1: well um
0: maybe that's not a fair question
1: no exactly i was thinking about how to answer it and i i was gonna say physically and i was I was thinking maybe that's not deep enough, but physically I'm in my, um, in a room where my dad spends a lot of time. I had to come to my parents' home because the signal at my own home is terrible. And being here surrounded by a lot of his things reminds me of how much I love them. And, but also how their love, which I say, in the acknowledgements. And I always say how their love and sacrifice, my dad's and my mom's um, has allowed me to, to be here and write and do this for a living and teach for a living. So where am I now? I'm just trying to be thankful. Um, I think. And actually my parents right now talking about their location, they're out there working. Wow. They're masked. At the gloves. restaurant?
0: At the restaurant? Yes. Wow. Yeah,
1: they're They're, they're going at it with, teenage energy that's never gone down in the many years that i've known them that's Um, beautiful it it is uh and so and i don't think that i'm i'm the only one who has this kind of story where we're really riding on the backs of our parents so i'm trying to be grateful um because i'm so fortunate to be working from home to have the space and time to write the space and time to talk to my students or learn from them so that's where i'm being thankful Um, and just uh, appreciative of of life and everyone that I that I love.
0: 30 Talks Weird Love is your first book. It's a beautiful book. It's a YA novel told in poetry. And a lot of it seems to parallel, uh, you know, certain details in your life. I know when I first met you, you were a... um, an undergraduate, and you took my intro to creative writing class. But you were going to, to medical school; you were going to be a doctor. And but this, I guess, uh, for some reason, you, you you decided to to get into creative writing. The 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 uh, uh, story almost parallels some details of your life. Cachita is a very supportive, loving mother, and the father—I forget—I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember the name offhand. What she called him, Ringo or something like that.
1: Papiringo and Chachita. Papiringo
0: and Chachita. They, they're, they're really fantastic parents that encourage uh, uh, and support their daughter. And I'm wondering uh, how much, and I know that people ask this and will always ask this uh, of a novelist, especially their first novel, because I think the first novel tends to reflect more of our biography. But how much of this is the story of Alessandra?
1: Oof, um... I would say around, if I if I go with numbers because I still love numbers, um, seventy <laughs> percent or so. Um, I think, as you say that that first novel, because I've read you know conversations with with novelists on their first work, and it is this need to get it out because it was a decision that really impacted my life. Um, and going back to, you know, being the, the, the daughter of, of Mexican immigrants who are working hard for their children to have better opportunities, um, the decision was really hard to make. I-, I, I You're talking about the decision not
0: to go to medical school, but to pursue poetry. Yeah.
1: Yes. So I, I had one year of, of medical school in Galveston and things were just not working and it has to do with depression. Mm. And how I just never took the time to think about my mental health and illness. And of course, when I was going through this, there was not as much awareness as there is now. And I know that there's a lot of work to be done, but I think now compared to what early 2000s, we're doing much better. So um, that was another reason why I wanted to get this out of my system and my heart um, of recognizing that decision to be the best one, because I saved my life. If I had stayed, um, I think that, uh, several things could have happened, but I don't think they would have been necessarily positive. <laughs> you, um, would have,
0: you would have been a doctor that would save lives, but not your own.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think that the, by the time that I, that I decided to do this, I was already in uh, taking antidepressants, um, a shrink had added another one. So things were not doing well. Right. So the part of Ana Maria dealing with depression is very much my own story. But I wanted to give Ana Maria, who's separate from me, the chance to slow down right. and think about what you're doing. Because like Ana Maria, although it's, our experiences are different, Ana Maria tries to jump and then she stops. I also had a suicide attempt when I was seventeen, but no one knew uh, and I blocked in myself <laughs> right. and i never because i'm always I'm running on adrenaline most of the times and I wanted to achieve achieve study study, I never sat down and said, "This is wrong right and so I burnt myself, and there are studies, and again, I'm not a doctor, but i i there's this study or, or podcast that I heard where chronic stress really atrophies your neurons. And I think something happened to me. So right. Ana Maria, she's drawing from my experiences, but she's getting a second chance. She wants to be a poet. Great. She wants to be a doctor. Great. But now she's aware that she has certain things within her that need her attention. Um, same thing with the parents. Yes. They're very supportive. Um, and they love her unconditionally. But I'm also giving her parents the chance to be more active in, in, mm-hmm. in Ana Maria's understanding now of that, mental the, illness.
0: That is interesting. That is, that is interesting. That's a beautiful point. It reminds me of the first time that uh, Chachita saw 30. Uh, 30 walked into the restaurant, I believe it was, and Chachita fainted. It's, like, it's as if she knew on some level, that's my daughter. Yes
1: yeah and i and i get a I get chills thinking about that because it was a difficult poem to write. I think it's one of the the ones that went through a lot of revisions because it was tough to, to connect with Tachi and how would she say, I see this woman and I feel the pain in mm-hmm. her eyes and I don't want that to happen to my child
0: right you know and uh one of the things that uh that you have to be grateful for is that your parents right now are running around like energetic teenagers with the hope of their business doing well. Right now they're there and uh I lost both my parents. And so when I try to communicate uh with different versions of my parents and, and revisit different memories, I have to do it without them. And uh oh my goodness. And the fact that you can do it with them can You know, I just can't get over that image of, you know, you said something about uh, this isn't maybe uh, deep enough, but, uh, you know, where I am right now or, you know, uh, is in my dad's, uh, uh, I think you said office or study room. You're sitting there right now Mm -hmm. and you're connected to so many things around you. Almost everything you look at has a memory or has some sort of neural connection to your to your dad. And it's a very great place to be. And. You know, I think the conclusion of this novel, what I get out of it, is how beautiful it is to arrive at that, to be able to sit in your dad's office or, or to just be not deep enough in where you are right now and rooted in the moment full of gratitude. Because, frankly, that's what uh, you were talking about, tendrils. That's what connects you to absolutely everything.
1: Yeah, and I, I get very nostalgic when you say that. And I also wanted to say I'm very sorry for your loss. I, oh, goodness, I, I, whenever I think about the mortality of my parents, which has become more apparent this year, I I get choked up and I block it. But you are right, sitting here and, you know, a lot, something that catches my attention here is that she, he has a, a name tag, name tag with my name from uh a job that I had. He has <laughs> diplomas. He has pictures of us, of of my niece. Wow. So it's really, um, it's really about appreciating those uh, those presences right. in our life, whether there are parents or whomever that really love us uh, and support us no matter what. Because I was a tough teenager and I was a tough young adult. Oh, so, I bet
0: <laughs> we have a teenager now. I, I bet you were you were tough.
1: <laughs> Ooh, yes I was a little bit of a headache I think Ana Maria is much more easy going I think
0: <laughs> right you know it, it, one of the things that I think you know time travel in the way that 13 and 30 experience it is that when 30 comes back to 13 and enters into her father's space or the space of her family her bedroom the restaurant she looks around at all the details and lights go on these beautiful lights in her eyes and and our eyes go on when we revisit the place of our youth and you don't have that when your parents leave and when they don't have their house you can't go home and you can't take a walk through the living room that you grew up in or the bedroom that you used to live in it's just it's not like that It all exists in the imagination
1: and that's where writing comes in thankfully um I, I hope that just like I'm optimistic of being 90, I want them to live forever. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. not that, that's not going to happen, but uh, I, I will in some way be consoled by the fact that their names, I actually call my parents that, Chachita and Papiringo, that they'll be there. And they're actually in every word that I write this new story that I'm working on. They're there as well. I think they're they're very much there. So writing gives us that opportunity to visit our loved ones without them being physically here but until then I'm just gonna hug them more love them more visit more
0: right right well that sounds like 50 year old self is coming back to you and saying Alessandra here's some advice that sounds really wise
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah I'm I'm trying to listen to to that 50 year old yeah and I I'm lucky to have my mother and other friends in my life that do that for me remind me
0: I'm just glad that my 65-year-old self, when he came back to visit me that day, he pointed out the cat. Didn't say, "Ah, forget about it. The heck with it. Just have another drink. <laughs> <laughs> forget your problems." <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that's that doesn't work.
0: <laughs> and and that's the beautiful thing about uh, our, I guess, being human—that we have this ability to project what is desirable onto the future. And even though we're not often conscious of it, we have the ability to project that same desire of what we want onto the past in order to make our present much more meaningful. Let me- I agree. Uh, let me uh, uh, ask you about the form of this novel, 30 uh, Talks Weird Love. It's, it's really a novel, but it's a novel in verse. And I'm wondering what came first? Was it the poetry? Was it the fiction? Was it the idea how did this how did the form come about
1: and that's always a, a tricky answer a question to answer uh, especially for someone whose first book is is out, but I have the same notebook um, from which I read before and I think uh, the I think that there was that question that I asked myself that's how this was born would I listen to myself if I were visited by an older self. Um, After that question, I think, um, I must say, maybe the story came first, which was very a surprise to me. Uh, My thesis was poetry, and it was not a novel in verse. So there was the question, number one. Number two was the story. And once I transcribed what I had come up with from the notebook to the screen, then it became verse. Mm. Um another thing that I that I that I think contributed to that is because Ana Maria who tells the story she is a writer but she's just blocked that so it made a lot of sense to tell her story in verse mm. not in prose. Right,
0: right. You know at at what point was this novel uh when uh, when you started to uh, work with Lee Bird, who I know is just an incredible editor, and and, uh, and must have had you know a profound influence on, uh, you know, on on some of your choices at least. At what point was the novel before Lee saw it? It was. Let me
1: see. It was like you say, I, I learned so much from Lee, especially because I'm I believe I'm a poet first in, uh, you know, whatever that means. But to me, it meant that I was focusing on language, 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 um, enjambment, music. And Lee came in and really steered me to what's the story, what's um the timeline I did so many drafts of timelines with her guidance because I was still and I will always be hypnotized by language and the sound of words when so when she received this it was a rough rough draft it must have been um the second draft I just revised myself also with the the help of my spouse Paul who's my proofreader and beta reader so that's what (laughs) she received and now that we talk about it, Lee and I, we just can't believe what it looks like now from where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as as instructors of creative writing, we talk about revision, right? All the time I do in my intro class, um, and I was taught about revision by you and by my other professors, but you don't understand the the depth of it until <laughs> you go through this process.
0: yeah, and what a what a great opportunity to be able to work with her. Uh, and you were saying that, uh, it makes sense as a poet, you're a beautiful poet. Uh, um, you know, you've, uh, um, you went from just writing raw beauty in intro to creative writing to writing beautiful poems with, uh, uh with restraint, uh, and with, with the restraint of a poet, the, the, the exactly what you mm-hmm. needed. And, um, uh, um. So it makes sense that it would have, you know, started out uh, as as poetry, and that the language would have been what's important. Because one of the pleasures is just following the language, uh, and and actually even to be introduced to new words, like the word you introduced me to. I don't know if this is a common word, but the that uh, she says. Uh, Uh, 13 says, they're already worried about me, their their machatera daughter. I machete through life. I love that. Uh, It's it's so playful. Is that a a phrase or is that just play with language?
1: Oh, I wish I could claim, claim it as my own. It's actually a slang term, at least used in Juarez. I don't know about the rest of Mexico. So when you call someone a machetera, it's someone who just works, works, works. Wow.
0: No, it's a beautiful word. And, and actually, it belongs to you in the same way that the language that James Joyce picked up from listening to the, the Gaelic people talk belongs to, to him. So, I mean, you, it's, it's it, but that's really one of the wonderful things about uh, this novel is how the language has these different, uh, the language is, is uh, in itself uh, meaningful. In not only the rhythms, but also in things like machatera, and then another serendipitous detail I don't know, I don't know if it was serendipitous, if it were intentional, uh, but the fact that 13, who is trying desperately to be the top of her class, going to one of the com- most competitive and elite schools um, to try to be a doctor, at 13, already studying, is going to sort Juana Inés de la Cruz. Can you talk about that? <sharp inhale>
1: Um, about the the name of the school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: it's clearly there's clearly this empowering metaphor yeah. in that name, and I'm wondering, did the metaphor, uh, did that name come serendipitously, or is it actually part of the shaping of the meaning?
1: I think it. Um, oh my goodness! So I, I know that Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz is, is is the poet of of Mexico. So I knew I knew the power of of her name. I love I, again as a, as a poet the sound of her name. Mm-hmm. Um but it also came as an effort to find a a stronger name um that at, at least resemble a little uh, the actual school that I went to. Um So but you know what I I until you mention it, I don't see. I saw the power, but I didn't see how Ana Maria and Sor Juana are, in a way, very much connected yeah. through that want of writing. So yeah, I, oh goodness, I just right. and I think it has to do with the fact that I, I was cutting the the name of the school as Sor Sor right, Sor right. that that uh, that added to that, and I think that another magic of writing, right? There's these connections that. We're so lucky uh, for readers to make that we just don't even think about.
0: Right. Yeah. In in fact, uh, in one of your bios uh, for when you had a poem published in the In Duende, which is a fantastic literary journal, it says her poetry mostly explores explores girlhood and womanhood in terms of identity, language, and sexuality. That's Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz as well. And, it, and it's very powerful. It's very, very empowering. So uh, that's what I'm saying. When you're authentic with the language, when you love language the way you do, there's going to be multiple layers that are going to happen all at once. And when you intertwine it with a story as well, and it's a fantastic story, and you even are using the techniques of a fiction writer, uh, it becomes a powerful narrative. And And one of your fiction techniques that I love is on... Early in the novel, um, when 30 comes back, she has a limp. And uh, 13 wants to know why 30-year-old her is limping, but she won't reveal it just yet. And you know she's going to reveal it later. That's a nice little cliffhanger that you put in there. Was that a conscious choice or was that language?
1: Um, It was a conscious choice. Oh, my goodness. And again, I have to to talk about Lee Bird here, because as you said, she's a fiction writer. She's an editor. I was coming from the side of language and and sound and rhythm. So she had to guide me in that process of giving that little foreshadowing and that, like you say, that little cliffhanger of what is to to become of it. And and I have to say that in the beginning um, when lee received the the rough draft lee uh, i'm sorry excuse me 30 um didn't limp she was suffering from 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 a knee condition which i sort of suffer from as well um but then little by little in discussing what what could be more visceral than than you know than just saying i have a pain in the knee what does that mean it's seeing 30 limp right. um but I had to again. Lee, Lee is my angel, uh, <laughs> my 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 guide, and uh, it was a very much a conscious choice. And and even the sound of limp—it's it's a beautiful sound, I think, and it's right. also funny. It's funny, I think, the sound.
0: Yeah, and and uh, you know when thirteen sees thirty limp, it's also very, um, uh, um, it's 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 scary. You know, you just see a, a future version of yourself limping. Oh, my God, what happened? What did I do? What am I going to do? You know, so it's definitely a very nice detail.
1: Yes. And, and the fact that, as I said before, when it's revealed how it happened, then the limp has a bigger meaning. So right. but it took it took a few tries. And what, it took a few tries.
0: And the other thing that, that's working well, really well that is integrated in both the language and the story is the background of Ciudad Juarez in the 1990s. And when it was, well, uh, I'll let you say what was going on and how it affected not only uh, the story of Ana Maria, but the story of Alessandra growing up in Juarez.
1: It was very tough. Um, when I started, you know, jotting down my, my initial ideas, my my little fragments, I was not thinking about setting a lot. And it just came to me that I had to talk about it because, as you say, Ana Maria and I are surrounded by that very impactful and ongoing um, event or it's not an event it's a tragedy mm-hmm. it's really a tragedy right. what's going on can you tell and us what's going on right now no no in in the, yeah
0: where it's set for people who may yeah, not and i'm sorry know.
1: about that because i asked that question because i think that um there's now what some some um, journalists are calling a third wave of of feminicides r- femicides excuse me uh, right now in Ciudad Juarez. So the setting of the novel is taking place during the first wave back in the nineties um, and so it was inevitable to the story to talk about what's going on, but it was also very difficult because I am from Ciudad Juarez, I was born and raised there. And the city has been um, stigmatized enough um, because it's dealing with so, so many issues on so many levels. So how do you tell the reader, this is what's happening in the city, but the city is so, so beautiful. Um, and it was difficult to get to that point because it's something very real. Um, I call it home, but I'm living in El Paso now in Ciudad Juarez, but there's, a lot of of my family and just people living in quarters and that is home and we see it as home. So how do we get to that balance? And it was difficult because it's also still in a narrative and it was a source of tension that had to be very carefully managed because the violence is ongoing. The femicides are ongoing. The fight of the mothers and families uh, seeking justice is ongoing. So how, do we present the setting as a living thing um, that, of course, affects the characters in the book, but it's affecting real people right now? And it was difficult. It's really, it was really difficult to, to, to reach that balance. And I, I, I still, it still wakes me up at night sometimes right. because Ciudad yeah. Juarez has been wounded. Their people are people. We have been wounded for, for such a long time.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many narratives I've read on Ciudad Juarez and the, uh, the murders of the women and the, the drug, the drug wars. And after reading yours, I thought, well, this is, this has got to be one of the best I've, I've, I've read. And I think one of the reasons why I, I think you handled the material so well by just putting it in the background, um, Yet the background, of course, is going to impinge upon the landscape, put it in the landscape. But of course, that that landscape is going to impinge upon the story itself in 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 many ways, as it does in many people's stories. Uh, but what I liked about that is that you weren't in any way, uh, I'm going to make up a verb, uh, Bolano two thousand six six ing it, uh, <laughs> you know. And I think you know what I mean by that, right? It was it it, it was. You know it was dealt with in a way that uh you know was intelligent and measured and and even in some ways made it more horrifying than all the details you might get in a Bolaño version of Ciudad Juarez.
1: No and I'm glad to hear you say that um but yeah it's uh it's it's something that we have to think about very carefully and going back to our students uh at, at, at UTEP um a, a big number come from Juárez, And so when I tell them, write about yourself, write what about what matters to you, your story matters, as you were saying, um, we have to have these conversations. And it's important that we do, um, also in, in the sense of place and how place, it has an undeniable effect on us. And of course, it will have an undeniable effect on characters. And, uh, uh, it was actually Silvia Hilar, uh, another uh, beautiful novel. Oh, she's got writer. a beautiful
0: novel uh, about oh, my uh, goodness. two of them about the everything Juarez. I have yeah. lost. Yeah. Um,
1: I think another beautiful example of looking at Juarez with with care but also seriousness. Um, and she we were having a conversation about this because I was I was telling her, you know, I'm I'm afraid. How do I talk about this? And what is this? And what is that? What is this? And she said something very simple, but very true that I hadn't realized. And it's actually reflected on what Mr. Ye The character tells Ana Maria by the end. It's not that what is it's the people, the criminals, the killers. Right. They're different than the place. And that was a, such a big revelation to me, so much so that I had to put it in there so Ana Maria would realize this earlier than I did. Um, and maybe by separating the city from from these killers, and we can have some tenderness for the people uh, in Juarez and for um, the women that we've lost. There. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember it's, it's also an act of, of remembrance, remembrance, remembrance. We cannot forget.
0: Right. It reminds me of that poem you wrote uh, in honor of the victims of the, uh, the shooting at Walmart that happened uh, uh, a year or so uh, back. Uh, you... Uh, you evoke a similar poem from Juan Felipe Herrera where he repeats the names of some of the women who were killed in Juarez and you repeat or you, you say every single name of the people who were shot in Walmart. It was, it was a beautiful uh, expression of how deeply that event shook and hurt El Paso. And I think uh, in many ways this novel that you come out with is is a, an expression of how uh, you know how uh, how Juárez is hurting, and how painfully it goes on. That story goes on as it parallels our own stories.
1: It goes on, and it, it's and it's a this book, and it's a humble way that I'm saying. Let's remember. Let's never forget. And I think that as long as um, I include Juárez as 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 the setting, as the living. Heart of of a movie as a landscape i have to keep saying that let's remember let's remember because even here in el paso um i tend to forget i am very protected in my little cocoon Uh um my i never suffered anything like that i never had family that suffered um from this so i have to remember um we just have to remember. That's all I will say. But going back to the poem that you mentioned, it was when writing this, it was powerful to write the names, especially um I actually revised this poem recently. And uh before the, the title of the poem, which again is after the, the wonderful Juan Felipe Herrera poem, 187 Reasons, mine was called 22 Reasons. And now it's 23 because uh Mr. Guillermo Garcia passed away in April 2020. So now it's 23 reasons. Um, And the act of of writing their names, it's, again, a humble effort to say, let's say their names. Let's not erase them from memory, which, again, was inevitable in some way that that we didn't have the opportunity to have, for example, a parade or, or several ceremonies this year because of the pandemic. Right. So we have to keep remembering them.
0: And then, well. and then we add the pandemic to what's happening to you know how it's affected El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, the, the twin cities, is just uh, tremendous. They were having to store bodies in in refrigerators outside of of morgues and funeral homes. Uh, you know, we're having to turn people away or to you know say come back in a month and maybe we could do something. And it's uh, uh, it's interesting to see what. Art is going to be a result of the pain that our cities are feeling right now. And I'm sure whatever it is, that uh, you're going to have a very significant voice in. Uh,
1: Thank you. No, and it's, it. uh, as I say, it's, it's bearing witness, and, and we're, we're so fortunate and we should be honored and humbled by having this calling to do so through writing, most definitely.
0: So, you don't regret not being a doctor?
1: Oh, my goodness. I, I you know what I, I, I regret is the stories that I got to hear. Uh-huh. Um, I was very interested in OBGYN. I, women, the strength of women is just something amazing to me. So when I did, did a preceptorship uh, here at Texas Tech, um, I just had beautiful experiences talking to women and listening to them. But perhaps that's also a a clue, right, to what I'm doing right now. I love stories. I love hearing people telling me stories. I love when my students tell me stories. So that's the part I regret. And also the kind of story that that you get as a medical student. And I would imagine as a, a doctor, doctor is this story, this narrative is very privileged you, someone comes to you, and again, my, my, my experience was very limited, but someone comes to you and they're entrusting you with one of the most intimate narratives, which is that of the body. And so that's what I regret, um, the stories and that connection to the body. I mean, palpating a, 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 pre, a pregnant belly. Oh, <laughs> uh, listening, trying to locate the, the fetal heartbeat. Oof. Uh, And all of the auscultation and and palpating practices to me were always very intimate and very just beautiful and privileged to me. That's what I will definitely uh, miss. Wow.
0: That's a beautiful answer because I would have said the money. (laughs) (laughs) Doctors um, tend to make a little bit more than poets, unfortunately. I think poets uh, and all kinds of writers like us should be making lots of money.
1: Oh, yeah. No. And I oh. mean, the student loans come. Yeah. No. And I think that's that's also part of writing this book has allowed me to put that to the to the side a little because All it right. is tough. It is tough. But All I'm right. I'm privileged to be doing what I'm doing and I'm thankful.
0: Well, uh, we, can we have you read one of the poems from uh, your new book, 30 Talks, Weird Love? Just oh, it'd
1: be my, my my honor. Which which one would you like me to read?
0: I just go ahead and pick anything. Whatever you whatever you want. Ooh. Um let me just
1: uh, I'm just trying to find one. Oh, this is the one that I um that i that i really enjoy writing um there are concrete poems in in the in the collection in the not collection excuse me in the book and that was a a late addition to to the book and that was me having fun because i had taught um some weeks of poetry to i think it was some girls in elementary school and we were doing that and i said why shouldn't i have a little bit of fun um so this is one uh, a very um fun poem in terms of the form but it's not fun I guess in terms of the of the content but it was a poem that I needed to write uh, and it's very very personal and it relates to um, to to the women and girls that we've lost so this is called I pray a poem Jesus you are like 30 I believe and don't believe in you no matter the rare time my papis drag me to church but I know of your sacred heart because of the ornaments they sell in Mercado Cuauhtémoc. Jesús, I want to break the ice. Your dad's name spelled backwards his dog. Now, if you are as real as the güero papiringo prays to, as in the movies where you save the world, couldn't you have saved the dead girls, or at least Mr. Yelle's niece? If not, could I call on her, la virgen de Guadalupe? Tachita says she's the mother of old Mexico. I thought it was a Taromara or a Stega woman, but Chachita says history is not the same as faith. I've heard Chachita pray to her and you. She says I could, too, if I stopped thinking so much. I can't. That's not who I am. So, God, Virgen, take this poem instead. Save all of us girls. Save Ciudad Juarez. That was
0: Alessandra narvaez varela reading from her new book 30 talks weird love it's a brand new book uh, currently available wherever good books are so- I, that sounds kind of corny wherever good books are sold this is available but it is and unfortunately um there is a pandemic going on and um if there were no pandemic, I'm sure that you would be going all around the country and the region doing readings and, and uh, uh, signing books. Uh, what, what are your plans to get this book out there?
1: Oh, again, going back to Zoom, um, I think uh, Zoom meetings or whatever platform is available to be used, that's gonna be uh, a real blessing for writers, myself included. Uh, I also really want to get in touch with uh, school districts here in El Paso and surrounding communities um, because I, I would love to talk to, to students. I would love to talk to teachers. So besides, you know, the, the regular conferences, I'm uh, like, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, the Tucson Festival of Books, the first for me that's very exciting, and other ones It's also reaching out to my community here. And I'm hoping at some point going to Juarez um, and also connecting with that community there. But until then it's zoom zoom and whatever is available to to make that connection um, electronically
0: you're you're too young to remember this but right after sesame street was over there was a program called zoom and it would go zoom 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 come on and zoom 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 zoom." (laughs) all these kids would be dancing and singing and uh, that's what i think of every time i get on zoom so if somebody wants to get on zoom and uh, listen to you read and talk about your book where can they find information about you
1: they can go to the Cinco Puntos Press website. Uh, my website is up and coming as well, but I would say go to Cinco Puntos.
0: Perfect, perfect. Alessandra, thank you for joining us, and uh, congratulations on this book. I, I wish it—I uh, I hope it reaches many, many readers. It should be required reading in El Paso High School, so hopefully uh, your, your press can set something like that up because it deserves to be read by, by everybody.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and, um, and having this conversation. Thank you so much.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Alessandra Narvaez Varela, for joining us on Words on a Wire. The name of the book is 30 Talks Weird Love. Yeah. And if you hear a baby in the background, that's because there is a baby in the background. I am double-duting it right now, being both a daddy and a video host. I'd also like to thank Cinco Puntos Press for putting out this fantastic book and all the other great books that they put out, um, as well as you for joining us. Remember, buy books. Buy Alessandra's book. Buy every book you can possibly think of. Go to the Cinco Puntos website and buy books. Walk into Literarity in El Paso, Texas, and buy as many books as you can. Or whatever local bookstore you have, walk into it, put on your mask, and buy books. We need you. See you next week.